Mary, a great woman of faith. She's a model of faith for so many of us. So how did Mary respond to Jesus saying, you know, no woman, what do, do I have to do with this? Um, my hour's not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. On our last broadcast, David took us to the second chapter of the Gospel of John, describing Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine. Was this miracle about proving Jesus' divinity, or is there a deeper lesson for us all? Here's David with the second section of his message, Water to Wine. A wedding feast Jesus went to with his five disciples who were with him. So verse 2, Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. So if it was uh, a family member, naturally Mary would be there. Well, well she would want her 30 year old son to be there as well and celebrate it. Or even if it was just a good friend, it would be natural for Jesus to be invited. But here's the catch. It was Jesus and five new mouths to feed and five new mouths to drink the wine that were added to what was probably a very poor wedding party that didn't have a lot of means that Mary was an important part of, making sure that every need was met. So verse three, when when the wine ran out, again, now why did the wine run out? Because a couple of days into the wedding feast, six people showed up who weren't expected to be there. Jesus and his five new disciples. They came and they started being a part of the celebration and they start drinking the wine as well. And after a few days, the wine ran out. And so the mother of Jesus said to him, so this is the implication that Mary had an important part of the wedding feast in her life because she went to Jesus when the wine ran out and she said, they have no wine. Isn't this just like moms? Even with a 30-year-old son, she's still telling him what's going on and what needs to happen. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? Now, that term woman is the same term that Jesus used on the cross uh, when he looked down at John and told John to take care of his mom, and, and he called her woman. It's an affectionate term. But he is asking Mary the question, what does this problem have to do with me? I didn't cause it, really, and what do you want me to do about it? And you see, in that day, they didn't have DoorDash (laughs) where you could call and get somebody to deliver the wine to you. They didn't have 1-800-4-WINE that you could call in order to get more wine to come to the door. Mary's in a dilemma. And here's what I think is really going on as well. If you kind of look behind the scenes, you know, you know Mary was only uh, eight miles away from the place where she'd been raised, and you know the story that during that time period when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said to her, you're with child, and she was a virgin. She had not had intimacy with Joseph or any other man, and you know that word spread because the same angel had to go to Joseph and say, you marry this woman. Don't divorce her because during that year-long time period of, uh, of uh, 
uh, of the time they were engaged to one another, uh, they, they had to get an actual divorce if something like this had happened. So the whispers and rumor mongering about Mary continued, don't you think, through the years? Don't, don't you think there are always people who said, are, are you sure that Mary didn't sleep with somebody outside of wedlock? Are you sure this child is really um, not somebody else's? Because, you know, later on, uh, the Pharisees said to Jesus, we know who our father is. Who's your father? I mean, it was a jab. It was a jab at his purported illegitimacy. So, so Mary's coming to Jesus probably in some humility, knowing whisper campaigns were still going on in her day with a sense of shame and embarrassment because this was her responsibility to make sure that wine was available to everybody. And so she comes to Jesus and said, you know, help us out here. Jesus responds with an affectionate woman, what do you want me to do about this? Then he says something interesting, my hour has not come. Now, did, did Mary turn to Jesus because she knew of how competent he was? You know, really from the ages of 12 to 30, we know nothing about Jesus. It appears since Joseph's nowhere to be found in this story, he could have been a bit older than Mary, probably is dead by this point. And Jesus, as the firstborn son, probably took over the carpenter's business until the next son was old enough then for him to go begin his public ministry calling. Uh, so Jesus was here in this situation and he had never done a miracle beforehand because this was his first miracle, remember? And, and so some of the uh, early church pseudo-gospel accounts have Jesus as a little child uh, train, uh, changing clay pigeons into actual pigeons, and nothing could be further from the truth. There's no evidence of that in the Scripture whatsoever. That's why we call those particular gospel accounts pseudepigraphas. They're false writings. They're not really canon. They're not in the New Testament for that very reason. But Mary either knew Jesus was very competent and could take care of the problem, or maybe she had this hint that he really is God in human flesh, and he could, if he wanted to, do a miracle to make this happen. We don't really know totally what was going on, but it was probably one of or or both of those things. And Jesus says to her, my hour has not yet come. Now, now what's he saying here? There was a huge Jewish expectation of the Messiah coming, but when the Messiah would come, there was the belief among the Jews that he would reestablish the Davidic kingdom, King David's kingdom, and it would be all powerful and all glorious. When Messiah would come, he would jettison the evil Romans from the land and they wouldn't have to deal with them anymore. It would be more of a militaristic coup when Messiah come. And Jesus knew that his particular coming as Messiah was not a military kingdom, but was a kingdom of the spirit in the heart. It would begin by changing hearts. That's why, for example, with the racism problem that exists so much today, now we can look at it being systemic, but the real problem of racism is a condition of the heart. What Jesus came to do is to change the human heart. And when he does so, we learn to love one another, not hate one another. And so he knew that when he did his first miracle, that would be the inauguration of his kingdom. And he says to his mom here, my time's not yet come. If I do this miracle, there's going to be suddenly all kinds of focus on me and 
the expectation of being Messiah. It's going to speed me up to going to the cross, which was my time has not yet come to die on the cross. So he's trying to wait for that to happen. So he says, no, this doesn't seem to be the time yet. But something went on in Jesus' heart that made him go ahead and respond to his mother's request. I would guess it's, first of all, deep love for the bride and the bridegroom whose wedding was taking place and the sheer embarrassment of having their wine run out in the middle of their week-long wedding feast. It was probably love for his mom, not wanting to heap upon her any more shame and embarrassment. Those of you who have felt shame and embarrassment for mistakes in life, for things that have happened to you in life, just know Jesus understands your shame and embarrassment. He feels empathetically all that you're going through, and he wants to respond to that with his enormous grace to give you whatever you need to be free from that shame and embarrassment. So how did Mary respond to Jesus saying, you know, no woman, what do, do I have to do with this? Um, my hour's not yet come. Uh, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Mary, a, a great woman of faith. She's a model of faith for so many of us. She had a request of her son. Jesus said, I'm not sure I'm going to do that. How did she respond? Did she whine, throw a tantrum, give a fit? No, she said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. She submitted all of it into the hands of Jesus, her Lord, and trusted him that he would do what's right, just like all of us have to do, folks. When we have made a request of Jesus and it seems like his response isn't immediately what we want, what should be our response? We should turn to the servants and say, do whatever he wants. We should turn to our hearts and say, we just need to do whatever he desires us to do. We remain obedient in our faith perspective and we refuse to doubt. We refuse to have unbelief. We refuse to get negative and critical and bitter and complain. We just won't do it. We take a posture of humility and submission and trust Jesus no matter what his answer may be. Verse 6, now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. So in the wedding feast, there were six purification jars. Uh, They were huge. They held about 20 to 30 gallons of water each. Now, um, I brought this as a prop today. This is one gallon. If you fill this with milk or water or juice or whatever, this is one gallon. Now, Now, here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine 20 to 30 of these being filled to the brim with water and then poured into one huge stone uh, holder, and, and that's how much one held, 20 to 30 of these. Now, I want you to magnify that, multiply that times six. That means that Jesus basically looked at six water pots full of 120 to 180 gallons of water, enough for 6,000 people to drink from for weeks. Six water pots, each one 20 to 30 gallons apiece, 120 to 180 worth of gallons of water in these water pots. Now, they were ceremonial purification pots of water. And what does that mean? It means that when people would travel, they would come and and wash off their feet 
and their hands before they would enter into a person's home, trying to, I think, um, make cleanliness very important. Uh, But during the meals especially, uh, they would not only wash their hands with this water before they ate, but in between each meal, they would wash their hands. Uh, The Jews knew even then the importance of washing your hands. You know, I don't know about social distancing six feet, and I don't know about any of the other mandates like masks that we have been asked to do, but they sure understood the importance of washing their hands on a regular basis, and that's why there was a lot of this water available for ceremonial washing, especially in between meals, in between courses, and after the meal was over. Uh, So these pots existed, and the Jewish rite of purification was used for them And Jesus, now verse 7, said to the servants, remember the servants that Mary said, do whatever he tells you to do, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. So they took each one that was 20 to 30 gallons, and they filled it not just casually three-quarters full, but to the brim. Each one contained, again, 20 to 30 gallons, altogether about 120 to 180 gallons of water. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it out. So the water was dipped out, some, a bit of it, we don't know how much exactly, and it was taken to the master of the feast. There was an MC over the week-long wedding celebration, and the water was taken to the master of the feast. So they took it, and when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine. Now, did you note that? The water didn't become wine until the servants obeyed what Jesus told them to do. The miracle didn't take place until the servants obeyed what Jesus told them to do. Dear friends, you may need a miracle in your life today, but you need to understand if there's some area of your life that Jesus has demanded obedience about, and you are delaying that obedience. Remember, delayed obedience is disobedience, and Jesus cannot do the miracle. He cannot change the water into wine. He cannot do what you desire so much until you have first committed to him as a heart that is obedient to all he wishes you to do. You need to let the Holy Spirit confront you today and see any area of your life where you know you're being disobedient to him. And wherever that may be, you make the decision, I'm going to be obedient, I'm going to do whatever Jesus tells me to do. Then it's in the process of taking that water from the servants to the master of ceremonies that then the water turns into wine. It was only after the water had been brought from the huge ceremonial cleansing jars to the master of ceremonies. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. So so the master's ceremony was unbelievably 
overcome with excitement because when he tasted this wine that had been given to him, it was like the first part of the wedding feast when the best wine is served. And and that's because people's palates are ready to enjoy wine and they could enjoy the deep taste of wine. And then as the palates got a a bit dulled, you know, two, three, four days into the feast, then they would bring out the poorer, more diluted wine that didn't have as much of a punch and would not be enjoyed as much. But the master of ceremonies goes, wow, we're, we're two, three, four days into the feast and this batch of wine, the second batch of wine is better than the first batch that came. Uh, just showing folks that when Jesus wants to do a miracle in our lives, he wants to do more than we could ever think or imagine. That, that's who our Jesus is, not only trying to erase the shame and embarrassments that we have gone through in our lives, but giving us a miraculous presence of life from Him that's better than anything we could have ever hoped for or imagined. You know, uh, when I felt God calling me to form Moments of Hope Church. Most of you know I'm a little bit older in life. I had been in ministry almost 40 years in a previous church, and that ended. And, you know, I just didn't feel like God's call upon my life was finished. You know, I looked at the example of Caleb in the Bible that when he was 40 years old, he went into the promised land and saw the giants, and he didn't fear the giants. He knew that God had promised that land. So Caleb and Joshua believed, but the other 10 spies didn't believe, and they went and infected all the people, and they had to march around in the wilderness, and those other people died off except for Caleb and Joshua at the age of 85 when he marched into the promised land after 40 years plus of wilderness wandering. The first thing he wanted was the land where the giants were. He said, you give me that land that's most prosperous where the giants are the biggest because that's what God has promised me. So I've always used Caleb as an example of my life. Years are just numbers and God's call is what's important. So I committed to the Lord to begin this ministry with Marilyn. We spent a lot of time in prayer between ourselves also with a a large number of people just praying and seeking the Lord. And one time in a prayer time, is I was saying, Lord, am I crazy to do this at this age and stage of life? Am I just nuts? I know I heard the voice of the Lord that said to me, Son, I have called you to plant Moments of Hope Church. And then he said these words, dear friends. He said, your best wine will be your last wine. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in a discussion about developing a stronger personal relationship with God. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope. David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, we all have been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center. And the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bo? 
Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Thomas Burrow and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals. And, and we just thank you, Moments of Hope, and just this couldn't be, this wouldn't be possible without you guys. And, you know, uh, the, the first call we made uh, when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the Moments of Hope. And it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes. And so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um, everything you all do for us and for the kingdom. And not only that, but you uh, also sewed into our kitchen in the Dream Center now. This week started producing meals there, and as the restaurants open back up, all the meals were shipped to the Dream Center with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful for you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope, and we just pray an unlimited return and harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. I'm Jen Houston, and with me today is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, in your daily e-devotions, you recently wrote about how one of the personal names for God in the Old Testament was my lamp. Yeah, Jen, David calls God my lamp in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 29. For any who may know their Bibles really well, you know that 2 Samuel 22, David quotes a psalm that's almost identical to Psalm 18. Yet, in the one in 2 Samuel, he calls God my lamp. He does not do so in Psalm 18. So it's a special insight into hmm. the very personal nature of God as my lamp. So I think all of our listeners would do well to think for a second with us, Jen, on what's the purpose of a lamp? Well, obviously, it is to give light to us. Mm -hmm. And especially when we're in dark places, we need light. One small match can overcome all darkness, and light guides us through darkness. What's interesting, though, as well, is that in David's day, uh, at nighttime, people would literally tie lamps to their feet. Wow. And that way, they they could walk in the night to the next step and ultimately get to their destination. Hmm. Uh, that's what King David meant in Psalm 119, verse 105, when he said, God's word is a lamp to my feet. That as you study God's word, God often gives you the next step for your life as you try to keep moving down God's journey that he has for you. People would tie, again, lamps to their feet to give them the next step in a dark place. Now, What's so absolutely fascinating here is as God is a lamp to your feet to show you his way and will, God's lamp, though, in David's day is not a high beam in the middle of the night. Mm. It's not your bright lights in your car that allows you to see hundreds of feet ahead of you, that in David's day, the lamp to your feet only showed you the next step. So when David calls God my lamp, I think what he's doing is he's saying that God promises to be my light in dark places, but he only shows me the next step, and then the next step, and then the next step. He's not a high beam in the night. He is a lamp to my feet to show me just just the next step. Hmm. 
And that should help everybody out there listening right now, Jen, understand that God sometimes will only show you the next step. He won't show you two years out, five years out. He'll only show you the next step. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread as God provides for us this day and shows us the next step this day. Then he'll give us the next step the next day. And over time, we see how we've been walking faithfully, dependently upon him. So King David knew that God was a lamp to his feet. That's why he called God my lamp. So for all of us, let's do similarly. Let's trust God for today. Matthew 6, 34, Jesus said, tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. Let's not use today's energy being anxious for tomorrow. Let's just let God lead us to that next step and that next step and that next step. And what we'll find out over a lifetime is he's eventually led us home. Wow, that's a really good word. Thank you so much. Well, thank all of you for listening today. And if you would like a daily e-blast from me, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. Subscribe there. They're free of charge. I have only one desire, dear friends, from my heart to yours to help you understand and grow in your faith. And what I've learned over the years in walking with the Lord, I love to share with you. And that way, at 7 a.m. every morning, you can start off your day with... A moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message on the Gospel of John is from our online worship service. And you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out our Hopecasts. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking that you continue to pray for the high school students who are remote learning.